Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Cattleman's Call podcast as we continue to uh, look at the year 2021. This is actually going to be our first show of the year. And, of course, as we usually like to highlight the cattlemen and women out in the countryside, telling their stories and uh, just hearing all the the great advice that they have uh, from being a part of the cattle industry. Today, we are actually going to just take a quick preview out to Washington, D.C., because since our last conversation with Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs, out in the NCBA D.C. office, the political climate has changed uh, quite a bit based on the U.S. Senate runoff that occurred in Georgia about a week plus ago. But uh, first off, uh, Ethan, how are things uh, out in Washington, D.C.? Obviously, we saw the unrest in the Capitol last week. um, But uh, other than that, your job has to go on being a voice for cattlemen and women. Well, it does, Lane. We are uh, doing everything we can uh, today to to continue to get our uh, message out and, and have those important conversations, uh, both with uh, the new incoming 117th Congress, as well as the uh, the Biden transition team that is uh, preparing to take the reins of the federal government next week. Uh, and and yet you're right, you know, the, the unrest uh, last week in D.C. has has thrown a, a long shadow, I guess you could say, over everything happening in Washington. Um, I'm coming to you today. Uh, from the other side of the river in Virginia, um, because the uh, uh, the central part of Washington, basically from the Capitol to the White House, uh, has been totally locked down uh, in anticipation of next week's inauguration. Uh, we have about 10,000 National Guard troops in town, um, and uh, uh, quite a, an extensive ba- network of barriers and fences went up uh, unexpectedly last night um, as we see this sort of federal response uh, to, to any potential additional threats uh, continue to tighten uh, here in here in Washington. And, and, you know, given the events of last week, uh, you know, I think a lot of this is sort of abundance of caution, wanting to make sure that um, nothing else happens uh, to, to that process over the next week. Um, but it, it, it certainly um, adds another layer of, of just uh, surreal uh, uh, types of, of, of incidents to what has already been just an absolutely unprecedented uh, election cycle uh, and and uh, and transition period. So, you know, we're hopeful that we're in the home stretch here. We're hopeful that uh, we can get through the inauguration next week and and get back to talking about the issues uh, at hand for cattle producers around the country. Um, and we're hoping that Congress is going to do the same um, and and get back to business because this is uh, this is just not helpful for any of our issues or or, or working on any of the important business the cattle industry has here in Washington. Well, uh, of course, uh, our last conversation, uh, I was actually talking to uh, one of our listeners of the podcast when I was at the local stockyards uh, not too long ago, and they were really uh, appreciative of our conversation uh, post-2020 election coverage that we had, but it was still up in the air about the the two Senate seats in the state of Georgia that uh, ultimately right. flipped from Republican to Democrat. 
And everyone that I talk to out in D.C. or the political insiders here in my part of uh, Montana, they didn't really see that coming. Um, and now that really has set up uh, quite uh, the lineup of, of um, uh, how that's going to impact policy uh, with the Democrats controlling the House, the Senate, and, and also the White House. Uh, what, where do we go here from there in terms of the... Senate being controlled by Democrats, how, how does that change a policy standpoint uh, from the organization? Well, it, so it, 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 it doesn't change a lot of how we were going to engage with the 117th Congress. Clearly, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell is no longer going to be the majority leader of the of the United States Senate. Um, that 50-50 split with a tiebreaker to the vice president does throw control effectively to the Democrats. But, you know, there was already going to be an extraordinarily tight margin in the U.S. Senate and a much tighter margin in the in the House of Representatives than in the 116th Congress. And, and that is still the case, uh, regardless of the results of that Georgia election. And in fact, uh, on the whole, you know, uh, we have a lot more uh, members of Congress that have that have joined in this session um, that are coming from cattle production backgrounds with a knowledge of our issues with. Uh, uh, with an with an, in, an intent desire to to help the cattle industry in Washington. So you know, legislatively, even though I know a lot of our producers were really hoping to see a different result in Georgia, we certainly supported um, both of those candidates down there on the Republican side. Um, uh, you know, in that in that election, um, the the practical reality is this is a this is a gridlocked Washington at this point. You know, uh, the incoming president Biden um, and his team understand that. Um, this was a bitterly divided election. Um, you know, there are a lot of places in rural America, and I would count cattle country in that, um, that they really underperformed in. They're aware of that. They're trying to uh, they're trying to make inroads there. And, and uh, you know, we have appreciated the dialogue we've had with the transition team. Uh, they've they've gone to great lengths to acknowledge that they believe uh, that the cattle industry plays an important role, particularly on the environmental side. Um, they've left some some openings for us to have some productive conversations. Um, that doesn't mean we're not going to see crazy stuff on Capitol Hill. It just wouldn't be Congress if we didn't see, uh, you know, goofy people doing crazy things. And, and they're, they're, that's not going to be any exception in the 117th Congress. So I hate to spoil the final chapter for anybody reading the book at home. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the real control in this Congress is going to reside with the moderates. Um, definitely in the U.S. Senate, where guys like Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, uh, Susan Collins, Republican from Maine, um, you know, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, uh, Mitt Romney, even at this point from Utah, um, you know, folks that have, have really uh, sort of put a flag in, in, uh, in, the, in the moderate ground are really going to be empowered in, in this Senate to, uh, to guide what has a chance of survival and what doesn't. Um, and, you know, that's probably not the worst thing in the world, given our legislative strategy of really trying to be bipartisan and engage supporters for our priorities on both sides of, of the aisle. Um, but it, it is it is going to be uh, it is going to be a feature. And, and you know, I say that kind of intentionally, Lane, because, um, you know, we like to remind people, people look at these kinds of, of setups in Washington where there's going to be a lot of gridlock as a as a symptom. Right. Uh, but that it's really a feature of the system. I mean, that is that is uh, that's the way the system is designed to work to force that bipartisan cooperation. Um, so we'll either get nothing done or they will figure out how to work together and, and we will get some movement on things like infrastructure. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're hopeful that's what they'll decide to do. 
Now, uh, you mentioned uh, Senator Joe Manchin of uh, West Virginia. What has been his record in the past uh, on agriculture-related uh, legislation? Um, of course, he's a moderate, as you mentioned, but uh, is that going to be more likely good for cattle producers with, uh, with him being a, a, a pretty important member of this Congress? I think so. Um, we've always had a good relationship with him and his staff. I mean, he is from a, a rural state. Uh, obviously, West Virginia uh, uh, is a state with a, a lot of mining and, and agriculture and uh, and rural areas, and and so he he intimately understands those issues. Um, and and I think that it also uh, uh, kind of injects him with some some kind of plain spoken common sense when it comes to approaching these issues. Um, that is going to, I think, serve us well uh, in the cattle industry and and in rural America in general in this Congress. Um, you know, I, 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 I think he's a, I think he's a pretty level-headed guy. Um, so I, 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 I view that as a positive. I think others do as well. Um, you know, the folks in that moderate camp, their brand is really, um, is really rooted in kind of common sense. And, and so that, that sort of tends to infuriate, uh, the more ideologically minded in each party. You know, they, they kind of get branded a lot as, as as traders to the party base or, or to the, you know, to the platform or whatever else. Um, but it, it, it does give them more opportunity to engage on issues that are outside the box. And we can we can always take advantage of that um, and look for some creative ways to, to, to pursue our agenda. Now, of course, there are members of Congress that have a different agenda, and that is to um, – Lower livestock on the rung, I, I guess, is how we could describe yep. that. Uh, they, they're they're not advocates for agriculture. That that's one of the. Oh, the, the... I, I'd go further than that. I mean, I I think there are some members of Congress that would like to see animal agriculture eliminated completely, and I would put cattle right at the top of that list. Um, I think that that you know some of the roots of the Green New Deal. I think some of these uh, these far far left. Um, I, uh, members of Congress, you know, that, that were really supportive of that, that have been really vocal um, about sort of upending um, even, you know, the, the, the goal, the core mission of, of agencies like USDA, um, you know, they are, uh, they are going to have, um, you know, a, a challenge ahead of them in this Congress. We've been so focused on strife inside the Republican Party over the last couple of weeks, obviously, with some of this transition. But, you know, remember, coming out of this election, um, the Democrats were really out of sorts, given the results they they experienced around the country. They they dramatically underperformed um, in a lot of different areas, including in the presidential. Despite uh, uh, President-elect Biden uh, winning that election, um, you know they really didn't perform well in rural America. They really didn't perform as well as they thought they were going to. Um, you know, House elections were were um, a dramatic swing from what they were expecting with those those pickups for Republicans across the country. Um, that, in my opinion, empowers the moderates to some degree in the democratic party as well and they've been more vocal we've heard um you know the 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 abigail spanbergers of the world and others very vocally saying you know you cannot put me in the position of um you know of having things like defund the police or green new deal associated with my name i don't support those policies they're not good for my district um and and that's not the democratic party i want to be a part of um so you know despite the fact that the republican side is having its own problems at the moment there's some long longer term challenges with uh, some of those more radical uh, voices on the far left that that uh, I think this kind of moderation in the in the Congress is going to keep in check to some degree. Hopefully, that doesn't mean they're not going to offer their crazy pieces of legislation. There's just not going to be as much uh, avenue for them as there would be in a more lopsided house. Mm-hmm. And also the uh, 
former Secretary of Agriculture in the Obama administration, uh, Tom Bilsack, has been slated and nominated by uh, President-elect Joe Biden to uh, take up that role again. Uh, he, he, he will pass the Senate, no doubt, uh, uh, um, with that nomination. What, uh, what are some of the opportunities or areas that uh, NCBA will work on with this incoming USDA? Uh, uh, the uh, uh, former Secretary Vilsack obviously has uh, an understanding of USDA as serving in the post for eight years. Uh, what, what does this mean for the agriculture sector and all the agencies that fall under USDA? Well, it, first and foremost, I mean, to your point, He's been there before. So there's not going to be that same ramp up period. Um, he understands the agency. He understands its, its, its pieces. And some of these longstanding issues in agriculture that, you know, seem to always come cropping back up. He's 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 been involved in those conversations before. He has a track record and, and maybe to some extent as well. He's learned what hasn't worked and what 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 you know didn't work in the in the Obama administration. So, you know, that gives us the ability to kind of pick up an ongoing conversation and move forward with it rather than, you know, gosh, we're going to start at square one and we're going to go back through a process of a new team learning that things aren't going to work that were tried 12 years ago. Um, that That's a good thing. You know, that that allows us to kind of pick up and, and move forward. Um, it, it, it allows us to have much more advanced conversations on some of these policy areas. Um, since he has that deep knowledge base already. So, you know, we're, we're looking forward to that. Um, our, our conversations with the transition team, with his team, have been really positive so far. Um, we're, we're not going to agree with them on everything. That's just, I mean, that's just reality. Um, you know, there are going to be some times when uh, that, that sort of uh, more, more liberal view of the world is going to um, be at odds with, with our producers' uh, view on things. And, and certainly in some of these climate conversations and others, um, despite the fact that, you know, we believe that we are uh, a, a fantastic example of, of a climate solution uh, and the data backs that up, there are a lot of voices on the left that um, sort of by default malign the cattle industry and malign cattle production and animal agriculture in general. And a lot of those are not um, necessarily, uh, you know, honest brokers. They're animal advocates and, and folks that are using climate um, as kind of a Trojan horse uh, to advance more of a vegan type agenda. And I know I sound a little paranoid, but it's just the reality of, of how these issues kind of shape up in Washington. Um, so, you know, we're going to have to keep educating. We're going to have to um, we're going to have to keep showing our work. We know, you know, when we talk amongst ourselves, what a good job we do with stewardship, um, our low emissions footprint uh, and the high quality product that we produce. But we're going to have to make sure we're educating people on that across the administration. And we've already started that process and, and we'll be aggressively doing that. Uh, moving into the next few months. How about on the trade front? Uh, just uh, this week, I was reading in, uh, I think, the Wall Street Journal, um, uh, the outgoing U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer uh, st uh, really stressing to the Biden administration to keep tariffs on Chinese goods coming into the U.S., over $350 billion with the tariffs. He, he says it's working, and he, he's fearful of, of how the, the trade agenda could change under the Biden administration. But uh, uh, we do have uh, Catherine Tai, who has been nominated by uh, President-elect Biden to lead the U.S. Uh, TR. Uh, what is that going to look like on the trade front in terms of are, are we going to see a dramatic change possibly in terms of our dealing, especially in Asia with China? Or uh, wh what is the what's the, the talk out in D.C. Uh, behind the COVID masks? <laughs> well, certainly this administration is going to have a different approach to trade, I would imagine, than the outgoing administration. But, you know, they're going to have some interesting choices to make, given 
some of those those deals that have been put in place over the last few years. Um, you know, does a president-elect Biden want to get into that tariff conversation, given that, um, you know, some of the labor unions and others are, are really some of the chief beneficiaries of some of that policy, right? And that was very intentional by President Trump, um, trying to bring in some of those voting bases that were so uh, impactful for him in the Rust Belt in the 2016 election. Um, you know, that's going to be a value judgment that the Biden team is going to have to really, uh, really think hard about how they want to engage with that. Um, you know, because that that's the part of the Democratic uh, base and those labor unions and elsewhere that, that isn't necessarily ideologically aligned with Democrats on a lot of other issues. So do they want to alienate them on some of that stuff? Um, that's going to be part of this conversation. They're going to take a different approach probably to, um, you know, advocating uh, for uh, some of the the climate aspects of, of how we produce products uh, in that trade relationship. You know, um, we hear continually from the EU and the UK talk about wanting to maintain their standards. Well, we would argue our standards are just as high or higher um, than, than their standards across the board. We produce the best beef in the world um, and the the second best, most important export behind the, the best beef in the world is the manner in which we produce it. We have the lowest environmental footprint in the world. So we're going to have to make sure we're educating and working with that team coming in at USTR so that they're out there really advocating for those things as well. And we think that they're uh, they're looking at that stuff, and and, and we, we're looking forward to having a really good relationship with them. We had a good relationship with the Obama team on trade. So, you know, this is one of those areas where there's a lot of room for uh, some kumbaya and, and some, some forward progress that makes sense. But the tariff front's going to be interesting because the Biden team is going to have some choices to make there. And also, Ethan, I, I know so many uh, producers and stakeholders that are tuning into this. For, for many years, we've been talking a lot of, about a lot of issues that impact uh, how we do business. And one of those, of course, is uh, electronic logging devices and hours of service rules. And, and it just seems that it's a simple fix in, in the minds of all of us in the industry. We, we keep getting these extensions where producers don't have to uh, go by those regulations, but it, it's just a band-aid and another band-aid and another band-aid it seems with these extensions and I, and I know you and your team are working hard on this day in and day out but how is that going to look with a Biden administration uh, a new DOT uh, uh, cabinet member coming in and also a new Congress what uh, what's the progress or an update on that as I continue to ramble on and on with this question <laughs> <laughs> well here's here's a little bright spot of good news coming out of COVID you know we continue to, to uh, uh, enjoy an exemption from all of that that was put in place at the beginning of COVID and has been extended continuously uh, so that we have the flexibility with our haulers to deal with this backlog of cattle we've had throughout the system uh, over the last year. Um, that's really given us a, a, a great case study in the fact that our safety record maintains a really high level of, of, uh, of quality. We're, we're, we're not seeing a bunch of um, unsafe drivers and accidents and, and problems because those those uh, those restrictions are are being kept at bay. Um, we now have something to point to and say, look, when you when you free our drivers up to make the right choices for the animals that they're hauling and for their own safety, they make good decisions and and they they have that high. Uh, high safety track record uh, to point to. So we're going to have to continue aggressively making that argument uh, in this new administration. This has always been a game of inches. You know, we're working on a back-end 150-air-mile exemption to go along with the front-end 150. Um, we have pieces of legislation in play that will be reintroduced in this Congress 
uh, the TRED Act, and then the bill that Senator Fisher from Nebraska uh, introduced that, that would accomplish that. Um, we, we intend to continue pushing those, building support in a bipartisan way with this new Congress uh, on, on that front, um, and engaging with the new DOT uh, to continue making that case that, um, as you said, there's a real common sense argument here um, for, for exempting uh, live animals from, from those kind of regulations. We're not hauling toilet paper, as we, as we say a lot back here. Um, so we, we need to have um, somebody paying attention to the fact that it is a very different set of circumstances. Um, but it is, it is good to have some new, fresh information to point to in that argument. There's no, bigger, there's no more important tool in Washington than new information, um, and we have that. So uh, that's going to be uh, something we can, we can help talk to them about in the next couple months as we continue to try to make progress on that issue. Well, uh, you could fit a lot of rolls of toilet paper in a cattle pot. That's for sure. Maybe that's maybe that's what could fix the uh, the uh, uh, overreaction when people were hoarding toilet paper last spring. It's all, it's all <laughs> in how you pack them. Um, also. Um, NCBA, I know, has worked and advocated on on fixing some holes and, and issues within the product of the USA labeling system. Uh, what yeah. what is that looking like, Ethan? And what what update can you share with us now, or, or possibly uh, can can you share in a few weeks? I do want to give a shout out for, of course, the uh, uh, winter reboot that's going to take place February twenty third and the twenty fourth. That's all virtually online. Visit convention.ncba.org slash winter reboot for that. Wasn't that a nice little segue commercial? It, it really was. I, I'm constantly <laughs> impressed by your professionalism as a broadcaster. And I was not um, even told to actually uh, to, to promote it, but it's <laughs> going to be a great event. Uh, but uh, what what is the status of the of trying to fix the product of the USA labeling system? No, no, great, great question. Um, we have already started having those conversations with the transition team. That's a that's a, a priority issue for us, and one um, that we led with in our conversations with the transition team that we would really like to make some progress there. We need to make sure that uh, in the, in the, in this plays in lane to a lot of the conversations we've been having over the last year on leverage and in increasing uh, the share of that, uh, of, of the profits from, uh, from a beef animal that go back to the ground, that get back to our producers pockets. Um, you know, the ability to differentiate product and the ability to really carve out market share and market to a public that's looking for those unique product offerings you know that's looking for montana grown beef or virginia grown beef um, in my backyard are, are, are really important and while we have product of the usa out there as a generic label that can be applied um, to generally anything that's gone through the federal inspection system it's a back gate that, that really prevents um, as much engagement and use of those tools like process verified programs at USDA uh, and, and the sketch track at FSI as to build out custom labels that really tout uh, the uniqueness of the products that we're producing here in the United States. Um, there's a lot of room to run there. There are a lot of producers already taking advantage of those building out brands. We've seen such a rise in that during COVID of direct to consumer sales, right? And, and I mean, everybody in the world, uh, especially back here where I am, you know, has found um, some producer somewhere that they're buying beef from and, and they're just in love with the quality um, and whatever whatever value added options uh, a producer may choose to be to be touting with their individual product. Um, and that's really resonating with consumers. And we want to create as much avenue as possible uh, for that product differentiation in the marketplace to occur. And the tools are there. But as long as the product of the USA generic label is is being used at the packing and retail 
uh, side of this supply chain, it's it's competing with our own producers' ability to really do that. So we want to we want to make some progress on that this year. We've told the Biden transition team that that's that's going to be the top of our list to to put that to bed finally um, and and unleash our producers' ability to market their products. So uh, we're excited to engage with them on that. And and you know in our initial conversations we got a lot of head nodding. Um, that was something that that seemed to be of interest to them. So we're excited to keep exploring that. And also, uh, it really dominated our, our our conversations at the family kitchen table at the stockyards um, throughout the start of COVID and into this fall. And that was, of course, USDA's ongoing investigation into the Tyson uh, plant fire from 2019, uh, and then also the uh, the looking into of that that spread, of course, in box beef prices sure. uh, during the height of the pandemic. Um, if and uh, line me out if I'm wrong in this, but that was still uh, it's still considered an ongoing investigation. How it will is. USDA under Secretary, former Secretary Vilsack, soon to be Secretary Vilsack again, how are they going to possibly take that up again? And will they speed up the investigation? Uh, I, I guess it must fall in their priorities someplace. Well, you, you know, we have the PNS side, the Packers and Stockyard side, and they released that report this summer and said, we're not done yet. This is more of a status report, right? But then we have the DOJ side as well. And we know that the DOJ uh, investigators have been uh, on feedlots and, and talking to producers and showing up on farm um, and, and having those conversations throughout the industry as part of that ongoing investigation. Uh, you know, we sent a letter uh, to the president asking uh, for that DOJ involvement. And to this day, is the quickest turnaround I've ever seen on a letter to a government official in my time in Washington. Within six hours, uh, we were we were receiving public confirmation uh, that they were going to be expanding that investigation in, in, at DOJ. So now we need to go ahead and complete it and get that work product out the door. Uh, there, This has been hanging over the industry's head for too long. We need conclusion to this. We need some findings, and, and we need to be able to process that, deal with whatever we find, and, and move forward. Um, so we're we're going to be able to we're going to be continuing to, to communicate that message to the transition team. Obviously, whenever there's a change in administration, there's a there's a there's a gap, right? I mean, the new team's got to come in and and get situated and move forward. Uh, Merrick Garland has been nominated, obviously, to be uh, uh, the new attorney general. So he and his team, um, obviously, will be. Uh, you know, the next stop on that tour, along with uh, Secretary Vilsack on the uh, Packers and Stockyard side. So we'll we'll be pushing for them to resume that and keep it moving as quickly as possible and, and get it wrapped up and out the door. Well, Ethan, again, there's so many areas and a lot of just uncertainty just based on who secretaries will be and, and who gets confirmed and who their undersecretaries are going to be. But, uh, uh, again, that that's just all up in the air at this point, and, and I, I think it'll be a great conversation to have down the road. But uh, what what are some bright spots that you see for the advocacy portion of NCBA um, as we move into 2021, a few more weeks, and, uh, you know, the winter roundup is held, and by the time we are all together at the beginning of August down in Nashville for the Cattle Industry Convention that was moved from February to August 2021, what what are some of those bright spots your team is going to work on and really take advantage of in promoting uh, cattlemen and women? Well, first and foremost, we are just really excited that we're going to be able to have a virtual policy uh, uh, meeting here coming up right before the the winter reboot so that we can get that important grassroots policy work done. That's where my team gets its marching orders. That touch base with our producers around the country, with our affiliates around the country, 
um, the ability to talk about our issues across the board, strategize and make some plans for engaging this new administration and this new Congress is always one of our uh, biggest and most important events of the year. So we're, we're really focused on that at the moment. Um, and that's going to give us those fresh marching orders. That's going to give us that new set of policy priorities uh, for us to use in engaging uh, with the new administration. Um, and there is a lot of room uh, to operate there. You know, the Biden team has been pretty transparent about the fact that they're going to be talking about climate everywhere they go. That's going to be a big issue for them. We have a great story to tell on that front, as we talked about earlier. And and so we're excited to start building out uh, those arguments. We're excited, uh, you know, to continue working on some of these issues and engage with a lot of new members of Congress that come from cattle country. Uh, we have a lot of new members we've already made friends with um, that have cattle backgrounds, have agricultural backgrounds, um, and have already started uh, robust conversations with us. And it's always fun to have some new friends that can go to, go to bat for us up on Capitol Hill. And we have a host of them this time. Um, so that's that's always exciting to, to have that opportunity. Uh, you know, the promise of a new Congress and, and uh, potentially getting some new work done. Um, so, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of positive there. And, you know, the last couple of years. With all the um, all the change and the the effort that we've expended during the Trump administration has really uh, engaged the policy processes of our affiliates around the country. I mean, I'm on the phone uh, as is my team with Montana stock growers and 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 other affiliates around the country on an, on an almost constant basis. It seems like, and during COVID, that's been great because you see old friends that otherwise you'd see in person at meetings, um, and 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 it's the only kind of opportunity we have to catch up with some of those friends other than on the phone. Um, so you know, I'm just encouraged by uh, how engaged our, our policy process is, even at the affiliate level around the country. That that makes us all more effective. The more minds we have thinking about this stuff and generating ideas and debating those ideas, the more impactful we are as an industry. So we have a lot to be thankful for right now. Um, you know, it's been a really tough year in the cattle business. Um, you know, we didn't want to have to bring in tools like CFAP. Uh, we would always rather say no to government. Uh, uh, support when we'd rather be asking for, you know, less regulation and things like that. But, um, you know, that that group effort across the industry to generate seven billion dollars in direct payments to cattle producers that NCBA led with its affiliates, um, you know, things like that only happen because we're all working together to accomplish them. And, and it's important to stop and kind of just give thanks for the fact that we have an industry that can do that. Um, and we're excited to keep using that keep working in that system and, and applying it to this new administration and see what we can get done. Well, again, uh, Ethan, uh, as we both mentioned that uh, winter reboot is going to be held virtually. Uh, the February 23rd through the 24th, 2021 are the dates. Uh, get registered, folks. Uh, you can hear more about uh, the conversation that Ethan and I just had, but but also there's going to be education sessions, a virtual marketplace where you can actually uh, uh, get some shopping done for the operation if you need to, and also some previews of the Cattlemen's Colleges and so many more issues, and especially that uh, 2021 Cattle Facts Outlook session. That's going to be held on Wednesday, February 24th, and that's usually the big deal that uh, we all talk about during Cattle Industry Convention is that outlook by cattle facts but uh just like everything this year we are receiving our information much differently so it'll be interesting to see what that outlook is uh, for our our cattlemen and women out in the countryside um but ethan other than that uh i I think we've had a great conversation in any uh actually i never asked you how the weather is i usually ask my guests that Uh, how's the weather out there (laughs) you know uh, it's not bad it's about 50 back here which uh you know for this time of year we will take it's actually 50 degrees here as well, and it's raining. 
in Bozeman, Montana. No yeah, it uh, it was like five degrees the other day when I got up at about four to do radio, and about two days ago. And then uh, as I did all of my broadcasting this morning from home, uh, the wind picked up, and uh, yeah, it uh, it's going to be a skating rink out there uh, tomorrow morning for sure. But uh, tell all those hippies in Bozeman to stop driving their cars around there; they're making it warm up too much in Bozeman. Yeah, those Subarus that uh, that can't park right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but hey, Ethan Lane, Vice President Government Affairs, uh, thanks for filling us in on how this is going to really shape uh, the next two years with the 117th Congress and uh, and what's going to be in store in the, in the coming weeks. I, I look forward to hearing more from you down the road. Absolutely, Lane. Great talking to you. All right, friends. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Cattleman's Call podcast. Uh, if you have any suggestions for shows, guests, or anything in general, hey, make sure and visit us at ncba.org. Click on the Cattleman's Call podcast tab, and you can actually send us an email with those suggestions and questions. That's all for today. I'm Lane Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.